This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, sponsored by Bet Rivers. You can hear this podcast wherever podcasts are displayed. And, of course, the big ones, Apple, iTunes, and Spotify and Amazon and Google, but anywhere you get your podcast, this is podcast number three, and we're doing this uh, on a Thursday as we go into Sunday football week, and it's a monster week for the Eagles. They have now surged after their win over Minnesota uh, on Monday night to eight in the power rankings as they go to Washington. So um, going to Washington, of course, the big backdrop, the big subplot is the saga of Carson Wentz. And it is time to review the saga of Carson Wentz. And, and let's just look back at the time, at the, all, the sign of all the trouble. When it finally broke down for Carson Wentz, when he was finally persona non grata, uh, I was on the air saying that this was the biggest organizational failure in Philadelphia sports history. And I had my reasons for saying it back then. Now, as it turned out, it's a little different as we look back at it today. But let's look at why I said it was the biggest organizational failure in Philly sports history. And I laid that right on the lap of the general manager, Howie Roseman. Uh, they took a $34 million cap hit at the time. And uh, that's really because they had no choice to do it. And so to just throw him away and take a $34 million cap hit, which was the largest in cap hit history in the NFL – and they basically traded him away for peanuts. Now, it doesn't look like peanuts because they've got a first-round pick out of it. But basically, when it's your franchise quarterback that you're giving away, you go, wow, that's, that's what they, this is how this thing ended. All right, so let's look back. And we look back, first of all, at 2016, his rookie year with the Philadelphia Eagles. We start the timeline. Now, they, they, they draft him, North Dakota State. He's kind of a mystery. But he's looking good uh, in training camp. And so uh, we get a, a very surprising development the last week of training camp. And that is that Sam Bradford gets traded. The Minnesota Vikings, desperate for a quarterback, give up a first-round pick 
and they get Sam Bradford, which means Carson Wentz, right out of the chute, is the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles. And what happens in 2016? Oh, my God, Eagle fans are on a cloud because he wins his first three starts, uh, 769 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions in his first three starts. Now, the Eagles at that time finish 7-9. and nine. But at the end of the year, he's racked up 3,782 yards, 16 touchdowns. And this town is pretty sure that they have their franchise quarterback. So let's go into 2017. The Eagles start the season 11-2. and two. Carson Wentz is on his way to an MVP season. And then week 14 happens. Against the Rams, he tears his ACL, and that changes the course of Wentz history. Nick Foles comes in, finishes the rest of the year, wins the Super Bowl, and then after gets a statue in front of Lincoln Financial Field. And so Carson Wentz now, the following year, has to come in and see the statue. He almost becomes an afterthought. Nick Foles becomes a superhero in this town, which wanes the interest a little bit, even in 2017 when he was 11-2 and two for Carson Wentz. All right, so he's, uh, he, he's rehabbing from the ACL. He is not ready to start the next season, 2018. He misses the first two games. He comes back, and he looks decent, but the Eagles are only 5-6 and six in, in his starts. Now, if you look back at that year, the defense crumbled in two of those games. So basically, you look at that five. It's a little tainted, but it's still five and six. Uh, he is shut down after game 14, lost to the Cowboys with the back problem. Back fracture. He had played with it for most of the year, but he's out for the rest of the year. Foles comes back in. They rally. They finish nine and seven. They get into the playoffs, and they beat the Bears and then lose to the Saints in a game that was winnable and he didn't play his best in the first half, Nick Foles. So, okay, now here comes the offseason discussion for Eagle fans. Should the Eagles just stay with Foles, or should they keep him as a backup? A lot of people were claiming you cannot let Foles go because now he's a free agent. But it was unrealistic because he was going to get offers from the rest of the league, and he got a monster offer from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Eagles were in no position to pay a backup quarterback $20 million. So the Nick Foles saga ends in Philadelphia with a lot of regrets. Philadelphia fans were sad to see him go. And this day, he still is a hero in Philadelphia. Nick Foles can do anything, and the people are never going to forget the fact that he was their savior to win a Super Bowl. All right, so now that puts Carson Wentz under the griddle. It's now his whole deal. Foles is gone, and now he's coming back from an injury. And, and now he's got to perform as the franchise quarterback, the one we remembered from 2016 and 2017. So what happens? Five and seven start for Nick Foles. I mean, excuse me, for, for Carson Wentz. And people go, see, we should have kept Nick Foles. But he rallies them in the final five weeks. They win the last four games. They beat the Cowboys in game 16, and they win the division. They get into the playoffs. Do I need to tell you what happened in the playoffs? Nine snaps in. The Jadavian Clowney, a legal hit, which he was not punished for, bangs Wentz in the head. Concussion out of the game. They lose 17-9 and 
because uh, apparently Cade McNown at age 57 was not good enough to save that. Right? So, 2020, they draft a quarterback in the second round. Their first pick in the second round, it's Jalen Hurts. And everybody is scratching their head going, what? Why would they draft a quarterback? The Eagles will tell you that because Carson Wentz seemed to be injured, they needed a backup quarterback. Now, here's where the logic is faulty. You don't draft a backup quarterback. When you draft a quarterback, you're pretty much drafted a quarterback because you believe that they could be a starting quarterback. But they're trying to convince you that they drafted Hurts to be a backup. Now, what does this do? If you read the tea leaves on a player, and that's what you have to do as a general manager, uh, you have to understand that Carson Wentz may not be down with this plan, that he may be a little spooked by the fact that they drafted a quarterback in the second round when they actually could have used a player who could have started for them. Now, they're telling you that they drafted them as a backup only. Carson Wentz is looking at it like, what? Well, I, I thought I was the franchise quarterback. Now you're going to have this guy breathing down my throat. Now, there are two ways to look at that. One is the player who is bothered by that is soft. The other thing is you got to measure what the guy's all about. Let's measure what Carson Wentz is all about. All right. Carson Wentz is a guy who is from North Dakota State. He is used to being the star in that state. So he has never experienced failure. He has always experienced success and love. Oh, it's Carson Wentz. He can't do anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, somebody in a big city is telling him he's kind of not good enough, that they're afraid he's going to get injured. They're afraid that maybe he's not good enough. So here's this other quarterback that we had to draft. That's the way he's looking at it. The way the fans looking at it, like, come on, man, compete. Compete for your job. But let's go back to uh, the, uh, first of all, the backdrop in the locker room for Carson Wentz. There were a lot of whispers at the time that he wasn't the greatest teammate. In fact, it was a story that uh, Darren Sproles, when he was out of the lineup, Carson Wentz, when he was uh, removed, that he wasn't quite happy with the Eagles' success without him, and that Darren Sproles almost punched him for it. A lot of other stories that floated around as well, that he was not a good teammate. So um, if he was jealous of Nick Foles, and he was jealous of being a forgotten man, that speaks to the player. But don't you have to read that as an organization? Let me give you an example of that. Terrell Owens. Now, Terrell Owens comes in that year and changes the, the season for the Philadelphia Eagles. Spectacular player, Terrell Owens, right? But let's face it. His track record would suggest that he's a little insane. Now, as an organization, you look at it and go, if I acquire a guy who's kind of insane – how can I expect him to be sane? In other words, you got to read the player. So when it comes out that he is dissatisfied with his contract, that he really didn't know that his contract was a bad contract, do you expect that he's going to be normal? The Eagles apparently did. So when he freaked out, they reacted like, well, we have to suspend him and do all that kind of stuff. If you deal with an insane player, you got to play into his insanity. You got to bring him in and go, all right, here, let me give you a pat on the shoulders. We love you here, man. And we're going to get this together. You don't rebel against an insane guy. An insane guy's going to come right back at you, right? So this is Carson Wentz, North Dakota star, always being accepted, always having people worship him. All of a sudden, he's got some adversity. And when you draft Jalen Hurts, it may not think it's a bad thing for a normal guy. For Carson Wentz, it was. And at that point, 
he bails out on you mentally. He has a terrible season in 2020 with Hurts on the sidelines. 31st in completion percentage, 29th in interception percentage, 30th in quarterback rating, 3-8-1 and one in his starts to the point where, of course, Hurts has to replace him in the second half against the Packers, and from that moment on, you've lost your guy. And the saga has to end. So when you look at it, you go, okay, is he a villain? Yes, he's a villain. He was a baby about it. But the other, the counterpoint is that the Eagles should have known he would be a baby about it and not drafted Jalen Hurts. We may have had a different situation. Now, I got to say that Howie Roseman was savvy, but he also might be the luckiest general manager in the face of the earth. That debacle, which I called the worst organizational failure, turns out to be a bonus for the Eagles because Hurts looks like now he's going to be a pretty good quarterback. So it it works out for him. Bottom line is Carson Wentz's insecurities made him quit. He didn't want to compete for the job here. Philadelphia was too hot. It was his job. They had signed him to a contract extension after 2019, $128 million and 107 of that guaranteed. That was an NFL record. So when I look at it here, he is the, the second biggest villain in the history of Philadelphia sports. And do I hope the Eagles crush him on Sunday? Yes, I do. So, so let, let's, let's, let's review this. I've just ripped the Eagles for not being able to deal with the Carson situation. And I've just ripped Carson Wentz for being a baby. That's what you do when you do shows like this, because you can't be wrong. So I'm not wrong. It's Carson Wentz's fault. It's the Eagles' fault. All right. So so there we go with that. Carson, good luck to you on Sunday. Uh, when I look at the game, I, I originally thought it would be a trap game. You know, when teams win in spectacular fashion like the Eagles did on Monday night, usually they spend all week, as John Cheney would say, smelling themselves. Everybody's telling them how great they are. People are saying, could they actually be a Super Bowl contender? All this, this adoration comes out of the world. Listen, pro players are, are human beings. You start believing in that kind of thing. You start to think you're better than you are. The next game usually is a trap game because you go, oh, we're better than this team. We'll win easy. But the line is not wavering on that front. And so uh, the Eagles, a healthy favorite in the game. I do not expect that they will go into Washington and lose that game to Carson Wentz and the Commanders. All right, let's go to the biggest Philadelphia sports villain as we're talking about villains, and you know who that is. It is without question the biggest villain, and I believe he will be go down in history as the biggest villain ever in Philadelphia sports. And, of course, we're talking about uh, number 25 uh, on your scorecard, uh, the great uh, Ben Simmons. Now, um, I touched on this last week about there's a, there's a lot of optimism in Brooklyn that Ben Simmons is going to be some kind of a savior. Uh, I I always ask those people, like, uh, if you like the lifestyle more than you like the game, how can you be a savior? And last week I produced a statistic that shows that he has spent more minutes playing his video game than he actually has playing basketball so far in the NBA. All right, so if you're expecting miracles from Ben Simmons, I think you people in Brooklyn are, are really misguided and you're, you're kind of kidding yourself. But the, the news about Ben Simmons today is that he was on a podcast 
with JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick is a very popular podcast. And um, and JJ, uh, listen, uh, JJ's not an interviewer. Okay. JJ is a, a fellow player. And uh, I don't think JJ is going to get to the crux of the matter, but it is interesting what uh, he had to say. And, and this is out on Twitter. This is uh, Ben Simmons on his time in Philly. And I'm just going to just going to play it for you here and uh, and see what we can compete together. A lot of big games together was, was playing Philadelphia. Yeah. And and I have spoken uh, about my love of the city of Philly and how much I enjoyed playing there in front of those fans. That's not to say that it's always a perfect environment. It's a very tough place to play. Do you feel like the the lack of shooting the non-shooting was magnified because you were in Philly. Uh, people in Philly just want to have something to say about fucking anything, man. Like, everything, like, literally everything. You know, I post a picture of a fucking car or a dog. I got reporters saying, you should be in the fucking gym. Like, come on, man. But, yeah, for sure, Philly is obviously a, a sports city. Um, and my experience playing there was incredible. Like, for the most part, it was incredible. I had a great time. Like, the fans were unbelievable. Um still have an apartment there, so I do own some real estate in Philadelphia still. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm part of Philly still. But, yeah, it's, it's just unique. Like, even being in Brooklyn now, it's it's completely different. Like, this is a different experience for me. And, and you know, I value just that time I did spend in Philly because, you know, I was able to learn and grow um, in that city. And I got friends for life there. I got my brother lives there. Like, I got family there. Um, so, yeah, Philly's great. I don't, I think people have like a, a thought that I think that I hate it. Uh, okay. Uh, first of all, I hate him. <laughs> Speaking of hate, I, I hate him with a passion that you can't imagine. Uh, and I hate him because he just is a flat out quitter. Uh, uh, you know, first of all, it was really interesting that Ben speaks uh, with adjectives using the F-bomb. Now, we all do that. And I, I don't know if that's is cool or not, but I was, I was kind of shocked to hear him throw the F-bomb as, as an adjective. Which is, uh, you know, the F-bomb is a great adjective. And uh, to hear Ben use it like that, it was kind of, you know, very, very interesting. But, but uh, come on, Ben. Uh, seriously, like, here's the reason why you quit. You quit because you bailed out on, on your team in the playoffs. I, I don't even have to get into the, to the, the missed layup. You did so many things that uh, you, you, did, you did not take a shot in the, in the fourth quarter in in three straight playoff games, and you, what are you expecting people to to say about that? So after the fact, it, like instead of saying, you know what, uh, let me look within myself, I, I've got to be a better player. For me not to take a shot shows that I'm kind of a little, a little scared of of the moment. So yeah, so I'm going to have to put up with the criticism and bite the bullet. Instead, he goes the other way. He takes comments from Doc Rivers, and and listen, what Doc said. To me, was inappropriate. No coach should say, e- even in the emotion of the moment, when asked the question, you think he could be a point guard in a championship team? You say, yes, I do think he can, you know, as long as we work hard at it. That's what you do as a coach. You don't say, I don't know. So if I was Ben Simmons, I'd be a little perturbed about that. But I can't be more perturbed about that than looking within myself. And then in the Embiid comment, the turning point was the, the, the layup and the whole bit. So he goes, he turtle shells it. He says, oh, my God, I can't believe what these people are saying about me. This is a professional basketball player who has not taken a shot. 
in the fourth quarter of playoff games. He he was mainly responsible for the for the uh, Sixers to lose that series against the Atlanta Hawks. And and for all this uh, this acclaim about him being a defensive player, two six foot guards cooked his ass in one of those games, including one who was seventy years old, Lou Williams. So so from that moment on, the, the thing got ridiculous. And, and so he pouts, and he doesn't want to come to camp, and he doesn't want to play for the Sixers, and what? And it was an injury, and then it was mental health, and all this con that came out with Ben Simmons. Uh, so he's still oblivious to the fact that he's not a, a, an accomplished player yet. You know, all these people look at him, and they look at these these gifts that he has, and I see the same gifts. But when you are free to take a shot in the NBA. You can't be worth that much. So all you Brooklyn Nets fans, hey, good luck to y'all. Maybe it works out. But I I see a guy who does not like to play NBA basketball as 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 much as he likes to date people in London or play damn video games. And when you're not dedicated to the game, you can't be a superstar. And he thinks he's a superstar. And that galls me. And that makes him villain number one all time. All right, we're coming to you twice a week, and uh, I am happy to introduce uh, who will be producing the podcast uh, from this point on, and let me give you a little uh, uh, introduction here. His name is Darren, and Darren was a producer of mine way back in the day, uh, my WIP days way back in the day, and uh, Full Circle uh, has come around, and uh, he's going to be producing the show. He knows me well. He knows my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. He knows uh, I'm sometimes a uh, 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 crazy man. And uh, so uh, he, is, uh, he is intimately involved with uh, what I do uh, and what we're going to be doing on this podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, let, let me just give you a little history because back in the day, there have been a lot of, uh, of great people that uh, have gone on to greater heights who have produced uh, my show, uh, including uh, one Mike Garofalo. Who was uh, at the NFL Network, and Rob Motti, who was a writer for the AP for many years, and still is in the business. Uh, and, and Darren took a, a different path, but but always has stayed uh, within radio uh, realm. And, and so so here he is. And here's the thing that I get from from most people uh, when uh, ex producers come up to me, they'll say to me, uh, uh, "People always ask me wh- what you're like." Like I'm some like a big mystery man, <laughs> or like I'm some crazy man. I, I it's it's a very interesting dynamic. So uh, uh, let's let's go to the source himself. Now now Darren, uh, first of all, what what is who am I, and what is it like to work with me? Uh, well, you know, so yeah, you, a different turn. Like I, I I work with you for a long time, and and I do get that question a lot. And I left. I went to NFL Films for for nearly a decade. And people will say to me, "Boy, you you didn't like work with Mike? How come you left?" I, it sounded like, and I would go, "No, it's not that. Uh, but you're a complicated guy, and in a good way. You're you're a guy who expects, demands the extra mile, um, but you're also extremely supportive. Like there are there are people within the industry." that are difficult to work with just because they're difficult. And I think because there are some people that have that reputation, that that kind of bleeds into your faux reputation. 
Uh, you're not somebody, you are, listen, you are a challenge to work with at times uh, because you're Italian and you have that hot blood. Um, but I think I've been one of the better ones at, uh, at reeling you in a little bit. You know, I'm, that's why I'm a good, that's why I go fishing a lot. I'm a big saltwater fisherman. I'm good at reeling things in. I can reel you in at times. So I think what you'll see here on the show is you being allowed to be yourself, but you know, you, you will not, I, we w- together won't allow your hot Italian red blood to go too far over the deep end. But, you know, like you appreciate good hard work. And I think that's why we've gotten along. I think that's why, geez, 20 some odd, maybe almost 30 years later, here I am sitting next to you again because there's an appreciation for somebody that works hard. You know, look, you're not a, a uh, you're not a mean person. You're not a bad person. But you don't have time. If you're not going to work hard, I, I, you don't have time for well, it. Well, okay. That, that, that's fair. And I would like to uh, – I always thought that I'm very misunderstood. Uh, when you do a show like this, you have to be on. This is like anything else. When you're playing a, a basketball game, you have to be on. And off the court, uh, you, you're a little different. You, you're producing – you have to produce an entertaining show. So the, there's always that thing where you can – you have to step outside of yourself sometimes. When I, When I – was off the air i uh you know people uh, think that they're gonna they're gonna have to see the, the and hear the same character that was on the air well you're not because uh, basically i'm a human being and uh and you're you're producing a show it's just like a like a, a rock star like a, a, a crazy rock star might be completely different off off the stage than you see him on the stage because you have to produce a entertaining show is that fair to say? Yeah, it's very fair to say. And and you know, and you what you excel at, I think, far more than any other host that I've worked with. And I've worked with everyone, uh, at least a, a, a small portion of my career, um, in the, this great Philadelphia market that is a very difficult market to work in um, and, and work with. Um, you can argue, and this is your you know your your attorney background as well. There are times with a, with a, another co-host that you would have where you might be similar, uh, have a similar uh, belief or take on a certain subject that we're talking about. You um, excel at arguing either side. So, you know, you could, you could, you know. uh, Put your hands down, man. You're slamming the table and it's (laughs) going. But you can argue either side. So it really doesn't matter. You can make an objective, educated point. Because a lot of the stuff we talk about in Sports Talk Radio isn't end of the world saving life saving stuff. It is, you know, let's have a conversation, let's have dialogue. And very few hosts can argue either side. It's very difficult to argue the opposite side of what you might genuinely think. But to produce a good dialogue show, you need to have both ends. And if, if you're not going to be able to talk about both ends, then, you know, you're not really going to get that good dialogue that you want. To get. All right. Now, here, here's the thing. I'm also older now. Uh, I'm a lot calmer. This show is going to be introspective. Uh, it's it's it's. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be funny. It's it's going to go all over the place. It's going to talk uh, about a lot of things, and uh, you know we we will just like I've always done uh, in, in my radio career. We're going to talk about more than sports, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna entertain. So we're going to go in, in in various different categories. But good to have you aboard. And, and uh, you do also well too, and that we're going to do a lot of is the personal nature of yeah. Life, we're, of life. So many radio hosts that are in business or working today 
are either young or don't really have a whole lot to talk about when it comes to the personal side. Yeah, sports talk radio is different these days because a lot of younger people are getting in and don't have the life experience and therefore can't tell stories like if you had life experience. Well, and yeah, and I think that life experience stories are maybe the most entertaining. Yeah, it's about the connection and companionship, any type of talk radio. That's never changed. Uh, that will never change. Ultimately, the most successful are the ones that can make that connection. And right. you do that very well. Nice job. Uh, so Darren will be with us uh, during the Mike Misnelli podcast. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's venture off uh, into a little. And I want to uh, this next uh, segment is very important to me because uh, uh, the uh, the passing uh, of a great man happened uh, a few days ago, and his name is Harry Booth. And for the people who were uh, in Philadelphia basketball and are uh, aware of Philadelphia basketball, Harry Booth uh, was a longtime coach in the Philadelphia area. He was the head coach at St. Joseph's University prior to him going to Villanova as an assistant, and he was an assistant on the 1985 national championship team. Uh, Harry was the two-sport captain at St. Joe's. He played both baseball and basketball at St. Joe's, and then he coached both sports there. So you're talking about the early 80s. Harry Booth, St. Joe's, passed away, and I happened to, to be really good friends with his son, Kevin. And I actually met Harry... Uh, way back in the St. Joe coaching days before I, I met his son, uh, Kevin. So uh, uh, l- let me tell you a story. And, and, you know, at the wake the other night and uh, the, the viewing, uh, all kinds of Philadelphia basketball people, but the Philadelphia sports people were there. The lines were around the block. This was a great man who touched a lot of lives, and uh, he left a great legacy. Uh, but let me tell you a story about his son, Kevin. Now, uh, uh, Kevin Booth was a, a star player at Mount St. Mary's University, and he finished his career and still is the, the 10th all-time leading NCAA basketball three-point percentage shooter. Uh, he was a long-range shooter. And uh, b- because of that, uh, when he got out of college, he, he was not going to go to the NBA. Probably could have played in Europe, but wanted to start on a business career. But he was asked to tour with the Harlem Globetrotters as a member of the Washington Generals. It was a great opportunity to tour the world. And, uh, of course, he, he was a, a valuable player in the Generals. He was a, a long-range bombardier, and, and so he became a viable player for them. So I first met Kevin as the Globetrotters were playing the uh, Washington Generals at the Spectrum way back in the day. Now, I think that you're talking about maybe the, the, the mid-'90s, and uh, I was in my early 30s, and I was playing a lot of basketball still. And I was in pretty good shape at playing pickup games and, and whatever. So the station asked me if I would be the uh, honorary celebrity member of the Washington Generals on that particular. It was a Sunday afternoon matinee. And, you know, the Globetrotters, they sell out. And so, so I said, yeah, that's so I get, I get my Washington Generals uniform. And, uh, I, and I'm a member of the team. And I get to the layup line with them and the whole bit. And. Red Klotz, the legendary coach of the Washington Generals and, and involved with the Harlem Globetrotters, um, uh, comes up to me before the game, you know, across the old coach, very well nationally known. Uh, and he says to me, uh, 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 are you in shape? And I go, uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. He goes, you've been playing? I go, uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot. He goes, okay, we're going to get you in. And I'm going, oh, cool. This is, <laughs> I'm going to play against the Globetrotters. So, so I, uh, he puts me in the game, uh, probably like the second quarter. I think there was four quarters at the time. Puts me in the game. Uh, I get the ball. I, I dribble, uh, you know, I go from north to south a little bit. And a, and a Globetrotter guy fouls me. 
So I and I so I go to the line, and I he fouls me in the act of shooting. I think I, I snapped off a jumper. And he fouls me in the act of shooting. I go to the line. I make one or two. And I hear and eh, the horn. Klotz takes me out of the game. I get like a thirty-five second run. So I go. Well, I don't know what to expect. So I figure I'm going to get back in. But he never did put me back in the game. So I played 35 seconds of that game. But that wasn't the – this is where I met Kevin as a member of the team. So uh, I go into halftime, and the Globetrotters are winning the game, as you might expect, because they're supposed to win the game. And I don't know the dynamic of what's going on with the Washington Generals and the Harlem Globetrotters, but Red Klotz goes into this locker room tirade ripping his team for not being in the lead. And I'm going, wait a minute, am I, is this the Twilight Zone or something? I, I, they're supposed to lose. I look, I look at Kevin, and I go, what? He goes, we don't, we're, not, we're not playing hard enough. We're not rebounding hard enough. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going, are you supposed to win this game? <laughs> he, says, he says, no, well, there's a difference between real ball and, and globe, globe trotter ball. And I go, what? Let's take this. Well, you're supposed to like really play hard and be competitive when you're playing real ball. And that's what he was yelling about, that we weren't, weren't competitive. I don't go, what's this? This is bizarre to me. You're supposed to lose the game anyway. What's the difference? Uh, so anyway, I, I just wanted to tell that story and say condolences to my friend Kevin and uh, uh, the rest of the Booth uh, uh, family, uh, thousands of people at the wake for Harry Booth, which was a true testament to how many lives he touched. He was a great man. So, uh, uh, Harry, rest in peace. Uh, okay, so this uh, this show also ventures into uh, different areas. And I know people are thinking, I hope we have a lot of uh, Republicans and right-wingers that listen to the show because I love you all, even, even though we're probably on different sides of the fence. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no. Is it time for the dreaded political moment of the show? Yes, it is. But it's going to really flabbergast you because this is an anti-lib thing. So all you right-wingers, listen up closely. This kind of ticked me off a little bit. Now, President Joe Biden, now let me just say for the record that I'm, I'm not a great fan of Joe Biden. I, I, I consider myself an independent force, and I've never really said anything in admiration of Joe Biden as much as I've said things uh, to the detriment of the, the fool who was our president before Joe Biden. All right, so with that backdrop, Joe Biden is on 60 Minutes last Sunday. And... Um, He's interviewed by uh, Scott Pelley, I think. And, and until he goes, and I didn't really pay that much attention uh, to it. But uh, um, p- people have taken shots uh, at Joe Biden's age and his ac- ac- acuity, which I think is fair game. You're talking about a guy who's now in his late 70s. And, you know, sometimes he, he looks a little shaky when it comes to that. So I, I think it's fair to take shots at his age. Just like it was fair to take uh, shots at uh, Donald Trump's orange face and bad hair. Uh, so, um, you know, that's it, what we do. We, we criticize the president for little things like that. So after his appearance on 60 Minutes, um, former actor slash comedian Tim Allen. And I'm not really sure what Tim Allen's doing right now. I think he's maybe uh, sitting on a sofa watching his old reruns. But, but in any event, he tweets this. Biden was on 60 Minutes. I heard he asked how long the show was. Oh, that's funny. There's nothing wrong with it. All these libs came out of the woodwork to criticize Tim Allen. That's a funny joke. You're making fun of where Biden's most vulnerable is acuity and his age, right? So I don't understand uh, why liberals would be upset at that. So there you go, right-wingers. See, I, it's, that's an example that, that I can be fair, right? That's funny. I'll give Tim Allen credit. That was funny. 
All right. Bet Rivers. If you don't have the Bet Rivers app, you should definitely get it because it's real easy to use and you can make your selections on anything and prop bets and all kinds of things. Now, I I, uh, I stay true to myself and I, I just pick games with the point spread. I don't get involved in parlays. I don't get involved in prop bets. I, I try to use my expertise to pick a game. Now, my expertise is really just nothing more than looking at the lines and looking at what lines look fishy to me. I tried to explain this last week. The line, the line speaks to me. The line always tells you something. Last week, my picks, I finished four and two. I'll take a four and two week. If I'm gonna pick six games, I can go four and two. I'm doing all right. So, so last week, if you remember my picks, I took Oklahoma over Nebraska because that line shot way up in Oklahoma's favor. They wound up crushing Nebraska with the new coach, Reeland, coming off the firing of Scott Frost. I also took Penn State. That line went up in Penn State's favor at Auburn in a revenge situation. So I took the Nittany Lions. They covered. I took the Green Bay Packers coming off a bad week. They covered. My two losses were Rutgers-Temple. I was shocked that Temple stayed that close. And then, of course, the Raiders blew that game to the Cardinals. So that was a four and two. So this week, I'm going to use the same theory. And again, go to your Bet Rivers app, download that app. It's a great app. Uh, I'm looking at college, three in college, three in the pros. In college, the Syracuse Orange men. I, I don't know that much about their football program, but I look at the line, and they're playing Virginia this week at home. Syracuse started out as a home dog. They were plus three and a half. The line has changed to in their favor by nine and a half. They are now minus nine and a half against Virginia. That's telling me something. I don't know what it's to. Maybe Virginia's quarterback's hurt. Whatever it is, that line gets my attention. I will ride with the Cuse. Minus nine and a half. I'll lay the wood. All right, here's a big game in the ACC. Wake Forest, Clemson. Now, a lot of people like to get Clemson has the reputation. Dabba Sweeney just got $7 billion in a contract extension. They're feeling good about their program at Clemson. Wake Forest came into this game. It's a home game for Wake. They came into the game as a 10-point underdog at home to Clemson. That line has suddenly dropped three points. So a lot of money coming on Wake. They're now only uh, a plus seven. I will take Wake Forest. You ready for this? And an upset outright winner. Wake beats Clemson this weekend. All right. Let's go to the Big Ten. Minnesota, Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State looked like poo-poo caca last week. They stunk. Minnesota at Michigan State started out as a three-point underdog. Minnesota is now a three-point favorite. In East Lansing, Michigan, that tells me all I need to know. Minnesota goes in there and beats Michigan State and covers. So my college, I'll take Syracuse minus nine and a half. I'll take Wake plus seven. I'll take Minnesota minus three. Let's go to the NFL. This is a Thursday podcast. You're listening to this on a Thursday, hopefully before the game. The Browns tonight, oh, embarrassed last week. They play the Steelers. The Steelers stink out loud, Okay. The Browns started out as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They are now up a little bit. That This line had actually pushed up to five-and-a-half. It is now a solid minus four. I'll take the Browns at home tonight to cover the four against the lousy Steelers. And then the rest of the week, I'll go Packers plus a point at Tampa Bay. That line's very slender at Tampa Bay. 
Tampa Bay's offensive line a little messed up. I think the Packers go in there, and they don't need that point. They're going to win the game. And how about this one? The Giants, they're 2-0. and They still stink, but they're 2-0. and The Cowboys getting all this acclaim of the Cooper Rush. But I told you last week, that was a brief respite. Cooper Rush comes back down to earth tonight, and the line reflects it. The Cowboys are an underdog. The Giants are a favorite at home. Slight, minus one, but the fact that they're a favorite means I think they win the game. I think they cover the number, the one. All right, so there you go. I'll take the Browns tonight, minus four and a half. The Packers, plus one at Tampa Bay. The Giants at home, minus one. All right, let's close the the podcast today with, uh, you know, kind of, a, I think, an amusing story. And, and, you know, Darren will chirp in the background about this story. So the other day, uh, I, I needed to go somewhere in the morning. And I'm, I'm riding my car. My car gives me the alarm that my tires are uh, out of, of balance air-wise. My right bu- uh, tire in the, the back of the car uh, uh, is losing air. And the computer flashes on the screen. And it's minus 20, uh, uh, the 21 PSI. And it's supposed to be 36. So I've lost 15 pounds of air on my uh, back right tire. So I pull over. And I look at the tire, and I see that there's a bolt in the tread with a washer that, that's stuck. Now, I don't, I don't know if somebody put it in there, somebody sabotaged me, or whether I just rolled over a, a bolt. So now I, I'm in trouble because now I have to kind of turn around. I have to find a gas station to put air in it. I don't want that tire to go flat. I at least want to reinflate it. But I realize as I, as I pull into a gas station that has a paid air pump, I realized that I don't have any cash. So I go, what do I do here? Uh, no, I can't put a credit card in, in the air machine. So I, I go into the, the little uh, convenience store that uh, the gas station's attached to. And I said, listen, uh, I have a problem. I said, I don't have any money on me to put coins in the, in the air machine, but I need air because my tire's going flat. I said, can I, uh, can I get, uh, with a credit card, uh, $1.50 in quarters? And the guy looks at me and he says, uh, I give you $1.50 in coins for $2 on the credit card. Is that because of the percentage that he's got? Well, well, I assume. Now, now I'm starting to break it down, right? I'm going, okay, there's a 3% service charge on credit card transactions. 3, 3% of $1 is $0.03, cents, Right? Oh, the guy got the math right. Yeah. All right, three three percent of one dollar is 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 three cents. On a dollar fifty, it's four and a half cents. Right. My man fleeced me for forty five and a half cents profit. <laughs> now is that a violation? Is it, yeah, is it a violation? He fleeced you me. Were stuck. He, I was stuck. I was thinking charity that the guy would give me quarters. I get he, he wanted to make forty five and a half cents on me. All right, so he gives me a dollar fifty in coins for two dollars on my credit card, and I and I I, I fill the tire and then I get it to it to a I get it to a tire place and uh, for a repair. The repair was fifty seven dollars. To plug the tire. Fifty-seven because they had to use a special plug, or whatever they take the tire off. So fifty-seven. 
right, so I was out $57.45 and a half cents. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to close it up for this week. Uh, thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast. Again, you can get it all over the place. We're coming to you two days a week. And uh, I hope everybody out there has fun listening to the show because we're going to have fun doing it. Have a great weekend, everybody. I hope you make some money on those plays. I'm Mike Missinelli. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.